0: everyone and welcome to your week with St. Luke's podcast and a special rewind podcast that we want to share with you as we prepare for our celebration of 24 and more vision on November 19th we're actually going to be talking about the last pillar, which is about doing more for Central Florida. And it's based on the scriptures from Ezra, um, but also backing up to talk about the difference between temple and tabernacle. And at the beginning of the year, Dr. Ryan Bonfilio from Candler Schools um, Foundry had worked with us and our leadership retreat to kind of begin thinking about the difference between temple ministries and tabernacle ministries. And he gave us a lecture on the book of Ezra. And so we want you to listen to it again as we move into this coming week and we think about what it means to do more for Central Florida, realizing that it's time to move from just our campus ministry to a community ministry that really reaches Central Florida with the ripple effects of God's kingdom. So listen here and then join us back later in the week as Pastors Melissa and Pastor Jad and I talk about this whole vision and kind of bring all of our scriptures for this series together as we talk about what the future will be.
1: Hey everyone. My name is Ryan Bonfilio and I'm recording here from my office at Emory's Candler School of Theology. I hope you all are doing well. So much has changed in American religious life over the past few years, let alone the past several decades. That on top of the fact that we've had COVID or went through this pandemic, The political discord, the civic strife. There's so much happening in our world today that's raising important questions about what it looks like for the church to show up and be faithful to its calling and faithful to its communities. It's a really tricky question, and if you're thinking in this video, I'm going to give you that once-for-all answer about what the church needs to be you're going to be disappointed. I don't have that answer. It's way above my pay grade. But what I want to do here just for the next few minutes is to start a conversation that I hope is helpful to you as you imagine what's next for your church there in Orlando and what it means for you to be the body of Christ in that particular community. And the way I want to start the conversation is by going back to a crucial moment in the Old Testament. And the year is about 539. And to kind of catch you up with the history, this is after uh, the time of the exile. The Babylonians had come in uh, to ancient Israel, and around. 587 BCE, and they had destroyed Jerusalem. They wiped out the temple, they exiled the king, and they took the rich and famous of the land, the the, the scribes and the priests, and and they deported them. They moved them out of the land of Israel into Babylon for what became known as the Babylonian captivity or the exile. And finally, by 539, the exile had ended, and the Israelites were allowed to return to their land. And, And as they got back to jerusalem they faced a question not unlike we face at this moment what's next what does spirituality and and faith community look like after a period of trauma after a time in which israel lost everything they had become disoriented all that they knew politically socially religiously was gone during the Babylonian exile. And so the question of what's next, is not exactly where we are in this moment, but there's resonance as we wonder what's next after a period where the landscape beneath us has shifted. And for Israel at that moment in 539, they had several opportunities and, and possibilities before them. On the one hand, what's next could have been reestablishing the temple as it once was. Uh, The blueprint for the future could be found in the past. And that made sense in a number of ways. For hundreds of years, the temple was the centerpiece of Israel's spiritual life. It was the place of worship and prayer and and sacrifice. The faithful from all across Israel would come to the temple at least once a year on pilgrimage to experience worship in that one particular place. So it makes sense that when they were returning to the land, the first thing they would want to do is reestablish the temple. And that's exactly what we see happening uh, in the book of Ezra. In Ezra 3, the Israelites had returned to Jerusalem, and just within a few years after they returned, they laid a foundation for the new temple. And the new temple, the second temple, would be much like the first temple. It, too, would be the center of their spiritual life. And not surprisingly, many in the community celebrated that particular moment we read about it in Ezra 3 in verse uh, 11 it says and all the people responded with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid now beneath this enthusiasm and optimism for for this way forward there was a more complicated situation and in fact if we keep reading in that same chapter Ezra 3 we realize quickly that there was a mixed reaction to this idea that that what should be rebuilt and what was next was simply a recreation of what was already there. This is Ezra 3, 12 through 13. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of families, the old people who had seen the first house on its foundation, wept with a loud voice when they saw this house, though many shouted for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. So do you catch what's happening here? Some people in the community are excited and ecstatic over the fact that the new way forward was the recreation of what had already been this new temple. Other people in the community experiencing the same reality, the foundation of the temple, wept because that was the way forward. So what's going on here? Why did people weep as they laid the foundations for the new temple. Well, one possibility is that those weeping were the older people of the community, people who remember the temple in all of its former glory. And as much as the second temple is supposed to recreate the first for these people, the second temple would never measure up to what the first temple was. So maybe there's sadness in that fact. But I think In fact, there's something else going on, and I think something more significant spiritually and and theologically. I think that some of the people weeping over the recreation of the temple might well be those people who never found the original temple to be a place of belonging. It was never where they most fully experienced God. In fact, maybe because of their background or gender or ethnicity, they never really could fully participate in the temple, maybe because of economics or geography, they never could just make it to the temple because they lived far away or, or the cost of doing a pilgrimage to Jerusalem was just too much for them and their families. Maybe for these people, the temple actually really wasn't the center of their spiritual life. Or maybe the people who were weeping, were actually those israelites who had never been exiled a large portion of the people of israel actually remained in the land the land of israel during the time of the exile and for these people they continued to worship god they continued to pray they continued to have liturgy and worship they continued to experience god in profound ways all while the temple laid in ruins for these people, there was a deep sense of spirituality that was not connected to the temple. So the idea of recreating the temple as it once was, was not actually good news. And, and, and maybe these same people also knew that in the pages of scripture, temple was not the only way that God shows up in the world. They might have remembered that long before the temple was created, God showed up in the world in the form of a different structure in the form of a tabernacle. Now a tabernacle was essentially a movable tent. Think of going out on a camping trip and you set up a a tent at night and you break it down the next morning and take it with you along the journey. Well, the tabernacle was something similar, just a lot bigger. In scale, And when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness, a temple didn't make any sense, right? They were a people on the move, and it didn't make sense to establish one stationary place where they could experience God. The tabernacle was designed to take with them. It moved with them through the wilderness. In fact, the whole theology of the tabernacle was that it wasn't a place where people had to come to meet God, but rather the tabernacle moved and brought God's presence to where the people were. In fact, in the Old Testament, friends, the, the temple versus the tabernacle, it's really more than just a difference in architecture. I would say that the temple versus tabernacle distinction is really, it represents two different modes of theology, two different modes of spirituality. It leads to two different sets of, of ideas and expectations and assumptions about how God shows up in the world and how we experience God uh, as a community. Of faith, and, and both of these systems, the tabernacle system and the temple system, they both are available to us today as potential models for reimagining what the church might be in the future. If we imagine the church as the, let's say, the New Testament equivalent of the temple, um, it leads to one set of ideas. And if we imagine the church as the New Testament equivalent of the tabernacle, it leads to another vision. Uh, these point us in different directions. There's a different sense of mission if we imagine the church as God's tabernacle as opposed to God's temple. It leads to a different set of values. It leads to different ways of interacting with community. It leads to different perspectives on the roles of our buildings and on the roles of our pastors and even the importance of lay leadership in the life of a faith community. There's a lot here to unpack between the difference between tabernacle spirituality and temple spirituality. And we're going to dig deep into this idea of the difference between temple and tabernacle spirituality, because I think that difference matters greatly for how we imagine the church and what it needs to be and what it needs to become at such a time as this. For now, though, I'm going to leave you with a few questions that I hope prime the pump for the conversations that we will have in the new year. So to get at those questions, let's go back to Ezra 3. Remember that moment of mixed reactions to the laying the foundation of the new temple. And I want to take that Ezra three moment and I want to contemporize it. What if we were in that moment, or what if that moment was our moment right now? What is the nature of the mixed reactions that we're hearing in our communities? What are you hearing in terms of mixed reactions in Orlando, in your congregation, in and around the community that you serve, for instance? And more specifically, who in your community is weeping? over the present state of the church. And why are they weeping? Are they weeping because they're nostalgic for the way that the church was in the 1950s, the 1970s, or even the 1990s? And if so, what in particular are they grieving the loss of? What is no longer there uh, that, that they have nostalgia for or, or, or some remembrance of uh, that was important to them? or? Are there people weeping in your community because even the present church isn't yet for them a place of belonging? Maybe it's not a place they yet feel comfortable in being curious or asking questions or in showing up authentically in all of who they are. Are they weeping because the church hasn't evolved and changed enough? Now, on the other hand, I would want you to ask, who's celebrating? At this moment? Who's celebrating the fact that the institutional church, as it has been known in America for the past 50 years, 100 years, is on the verge of dying? For whom is it good news, or at least not entirely bad news, that the church as we've known it no longer exists or it soon no longer will exist? What are they hoping for? What are they longing for? What is that new thing that they are anticipating with joy? Friends, I invite you to uh, wrestle with these questions as a way of thinking about where your community is at such a time as this. Who is weeping? Who is rejoicing? What is the nature of the mixed reaction and what does it mean to be the church for both of those communities, both for the community that weeps at this present moment and the community that celebrates that something new is coming into existence? We'll take up these conversations in more depth as we continue to talk about the difference between temple spirituality and tabernacle spirituality in our conversations coming up in the new year. Take care, friends, and I hope to talk to you soon.